Welcome to this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Always great to have you with us alongside Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. And coming up on today's show, the sad fate of the Conference of Champions. We'll talk about the latest round of conference reshuffling. Preview a couple of uh, top 25 teams. And yes, Chris has left his office uh, at least for a couple hours to see a movie. We'll tell you about that a little bit later on. And my new time waster, I, I found uh, something to, to spend even more time on that, that could be better spent somewhere else. But uh, we'll get to all that over the next few minutes. Chris, what's going on, man? Oh, but if I could only uh, find a time waster, if I could only find the time to waste. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I did sneak out for a round of golf, though. Okay. Uh, yeah, last Monday. And then I was able to... Uh, this past Monday, see a movie, like you said. So I feel like uh, I've been let out of jail a little bit. Uh, but you have been buckling down trying to get the, the yearbook done. Give us the update on the, on the Blue Ribbon yearbook. I know it's crunch time for you and your, your staff of writers. You're trying to get all the work done and get all the teams into the uh, preview magazine. Right. It's uh, it's really it's, uh, what I like to call code red time. Uh, we've got about we've got more than two thirds of the book finished back to the designer um, who sends the pages back to me and I proofread them again from there. So I feel pretty good about that. What I don't feel pretty good about is some sports information directors have been stiffing us on getting some coaches and we pride ourselves on talking to as many coaches as we can. And so uh, still working on that, but I think we'll persevere. We usually do. Um, there's always a point where I say, I think we're going to have a book. <laughs> you know, it may be a couple of months into it. Have you gotten to that point hope. yet? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I have. I, I think we're going to have a book. Uh, we have a new printer, as I said, uh, a couple of shows ago, and they already have the cover. We have to print two covers because we have a perfect bound edition, which is like a normal book and, and a spiral bound or coil bound edition. And, and so we have to print two different covers or else the, the coils will will interfere with the photographs on, on the cover. These are things you, you don't think about until right. you, hey, I got a great idea. Let's let's start a spiral-bound edition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it's like, oh, yeah, I got to do that. So, But it's actually become our most popular and best-selling. So I'm, I'm pleased with that. Even though it's more expensive, it, it takes a little more uh, uh, skill. Uh, hand labor to do those things and and so we have to charge a little more because we get charged a little more but i really like the book the way it's going uh, i've got an excellent group of writers who have been with me for a long time a couple of newcomers including some promising young students of mine who i'm proud of and i think it's going to be a great book uh, we uh we're coming out earlier out of necessity but i still think that we have more information than than you can find anywhere else Okay. And it's uh, on sale now. Give the info for folks who want to uh, make that purchase. I will, sir. I appreciate you asking. BlueRibbonYearbook.com. It's on sale now or pre, pre-order now. Uh, we're actually close, uh, closer than you might think to, to putting the book out in digital form, which will be the first week of September and then mid-October for the printed versions. And you can buy a bundle, uh, both digital and a printed version for a nice little reduction. So a lot of people do that. If I didn't own the company, I would do that because I put that digital on my iPhone, my iPad, laptop, you know, wherever I go, I've got that sucker. 
Yeah, same here. It's really, really handy to use. And uh, if you travel and do games like, like I do, man, it, it comes in uh, really handy. So whichever form you uh, decide to get, and uh, maybe get all of them, but uh, make sure you get that Blue Ribbon yearbook for the upcoming season. Chris, since we visited, the biggest sports story has been a round of conference realignment that will change the look of college sports, likely more than any of the other league shifting that has gone on in the last, say, 10 or 15 years. Oregon and Washington are joining the Big Ten. A handful of teams are headed to the Big 12. And four teams are left holding the bag. Stanford and Cal and Oregon State and Washington State. The ACC said thanks but no thanks to Stanford and Cal. So I guess you look at those four and you say, now what? Yeah, it's pretty scary. (laughs) If you're Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State, I've heard it speculated that uh, this was funny. um, Somebody said, well, maybe they should ask the Mountain West to join them. I'm like, ah. I think the Mountain West is dealing with a position of in a position of strength here, since they're a good basketball league, a, a multi NCAA tournament bid league. So, if I were the Mountain West and and I were the presidents at Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State, I think I'd schedule a lunch really quickly and see see what we can get done. And I think what that does is it really solidifies the Mountain West. I, I think um, Pac twelve before they disintegrated, wanted to poach San Diego State. And now it just doesn't make any sense for San Diego State to go anywhere else. Right. So the, to me, the, the the best thing to do is for the remaining Pac-12 schools to align with the Mountain West and, and make that conference even stronger than it was before and salvage some really good programs from, unfortunately, what is the scrap heap. You know, you would never imagine that teams um, – you know, that have won national championships. Stanford has won a ton of national championships in many sports, could be on the on a so-called scrap heap, uh, struggling to find a league. So in my mind, Mountain West and those four pack, X-Pac-12s, I, I think that's a perfect fit, a fit like like a peanut peanut butter and chocolate on, on a Reese's cup. <laughs> I think the whole thing's sad in a way. And I know things change over time, but... I sort of like the the Pac-12 the way it is, or you know, was a Pac-10 for yeah. so many years. I think it was Pac-8 before that. But uh, I, I hate to see some of these things go away. And this is the end of the Pac-12 as we know it after this season. So yeah, it'll be interesting to watch and see where yeah. those teams land. But I, I think it's unfortunate uh, for those four that are left standing to to now try to scramble and figure out what's next for them. And it'll be hard for them to to kind of have that power conference feel going forward, you know, and, and no disrespect to the Mountain West or any other conference, but it's not like being aligned with, with those groups of teams that they have been for so many years. So, you know, uh, I've thought about what you just said, and I, I really don't think it's because we're we're becoming – old fogies or anything like that resistant to change i I think you and i are uh as up with uh, the latest uh, and greatest uh, as anybody in in our age group so it's not all about that it's this And, and a friend of mine who's an associate commissioner at another conference i will not say who says this is what happens when you let academicians try to run athletics and what happened was the uh, years ago, the Pac-12 presidents decided they wanted somebody from out of the industry to run their league. That was Larry Scott. Never did deliver uh, consistent and, and good enough. Well, he wasted a lot of time on a Pac-12 network. Should have just solidified his deal with ESPN and gone from there because it was appointment viewing on Thursday night with yeah. Ash and Walton. 
It really was. And and the Pac-12, as it stood, was a good league. But I blame the commissioner for not realizing that USC was not happy. And if USC was going to leave, UCLA could not leave. And then from there, it – and the other thing, the, the presidents could have had Texas and Oklahoma before the SEC reached out and got them, and they, they turned them down flat. So that's what happens. Uh, the old line – I've forgot who said it, maybe Ben Franklin, but he who hesitates is lost. And I think that's what the Pac-12 has done. They hesitated, they lost, they're done. I don't know what Bill Walton's going to do. He may not, never come out of his teepee again. <laughs> the Conference of Champions. There's <laughs> no more. There's no more. That's that's true. What about Gonzaga? Where do they go? Uh, the Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormack said on, on the Marshawn and, and Oran Sports Media podcast that their league uh, will not add the Zags or UConn. So uh, what might be next for, for Gonzaga? I'll tell you what, it, again, it, it, that launch that I was talking about, Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State, I would assume they would pay, by the way, uh, to have that launch with uh, – for the launch, I mean, uh, with, with the Mountain West mm-hmm. officials. And perhaps they should invite Gonzaga along, pick up their tab too. And I think that's a heck of a, a union – if you throw those four X-Pac-12s with Gonzaga. And, you know, I've always liked the Mountain West. There, there's some great basketball out there. And people that, that have never been out there or, or don't stay up late like we do and watch those games, if you've been to Utah State where the students start that chant, we believe that we can win, it's insanity. You know, and there, there's high altitudes out there and you, you've – You've really got to suck it up if, if you're an away team and you're not used to that. It's it's a league fraught with peril and, and full of good teams. So I would I would get that lunch together really quickly and and see if we can uh, join up. And and but meanwhile, Gonzaga does not have to do anything. BYU did bolt the the West Coast Conference, which I think is a good basketball league. Uh, did not have to, but they're in the Big 12 now. Uh, but as long as St. Mary's and Gonzaga stay together as a pair in the West Coast Conference, I think it's viable because the thing about Gonzaga, they've transcended mid-major, and the West Coast Conference has given them certain concessions to allow them to stay or to, to, to pray that they stay in the league. Right, And they can still go out and, and they can schedule – and, you know, ESPN is responsible for this. Uh, they can go call up ESPN. More few can get any game he wants. And he's not afraid to play any game. Anybody, anytime, anywhere, as long as there's a camera there. And uh, so they still get all that guaranteed money. And uh, I think they'd be just fine to stay where they're at. But if they have to go, again, I'm, I'm, I'm organizing this lunch. I'm uh, maybe in and out Burger. But Cal, <laughs> Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State, anybody who wants to come to represent the Mountain West and Gonzaga, cheeseburgers, shoot, I might even pay for the whole thing. Uh, I just I feel so badly for Cal and Stanford and Oregon State and Washington State and, and really Pac-12 fans in general. And like I said, poor Bill Walton, uh, he's <laughs> he's probably listening to some sad dirge by the dead. 
with a, a pound of his favorite herb at his side. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if you get this uh, meal together at In-N-Out Burger, holler at me too. But yeah, this whole... Uh, no, you're definitely coming. I know you're a fan. Yeah, absolutely. But this, yeah, this whole conference realignment, it, it's been animal style for sure uh, when you look at what, what's gone on in the last few weeks here. Uh, Chris, Survival of the fittest, that, my friend. That's right. Uh, let's talk about on the court a little bit. Uh, the Blue Ribbon Top 25, I know, will, is always a, an interesting work in, in progress, but uh, I know you want to preview a couple teams with certainly a notable connection that will soon be conference rivals. Tell us a little more. Indeed. Uh, as I as I thought about the two schools, so we've been trying to profile a couple of Top 25s uh, each uh, time we do a podcast. And I thought about an old song that my dad used to sing all the time. I'm not going to try to sing it now because I cannot sing, but it's uh, it's called T for Texas, a.k.a. Blue Yodel Number 1. And uh, dad used to sing that all the time, T for Texas. And and it, it just stuck in my head. And so I had to look. You never know what you might learn on this podcast. Right. I had to look it up. It was, it was written by Jimmy Rogers. And, and became Rolling Stone, uh, placed it at number 29 on their 100th greatest country songs of all time. And it was covered by people like Earl Scruggs, uh, Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan covered it. The Beatles took a crack at it. So uh, without further ado, let's talk about the T's, uh, Texas and Tennessee. And as you said, there is a common denominator, uh, one formerly coached by uh, – uh, one Mr. Rick Barnes and and one currently being coached by Rick and Texas, which I'll go with first, is being coached by one of his. Uh, my dad used to. I don't know why I'm thinking of him so much. Uh, he used to intentionally mispronounce words just for get a reaction out of me. But uh, one of Rick Barnes' proteges <laughs> <laughs> is Rodney Terry, and. You know, Rick had told me for years, Rodney Terry is a prince of a dude. And I was able to speak with him uh, for the first time. Uh, Scott McConnell, their SID, is is on the Mount Rushmore of SIDs. If, if they built a Mount Rushmore of SIDs, there would be Scott right there smiling back at you. But uh, he hooked me up with Rodney, and we had a great conversation. And, and – uh, I think they're going to be in really good shape. They, they lost a ton. Uh, Timmy Allen, Marcus Carr, especially uh, Jabari Rice, who had become, you know, a great six-man, kind of a microwave guy, and Arterio Morris, who transferred to Kansas. But they caught a break. Tyrese Hunter uh, pulled out of the NBA draft. Great move on his part. He's an excellent point guard, still working on becoming a – more consistent three-point shooter, but I like him at the point. Max A. A. Smith uh, came over from Oral Roberts. Uh, this is a cool statistic. Uh, according to Sinity, last season at Oral Roberts, A. Smith, who, who's one of those kind of guys like Steph Curry, does not need to look where his feet are on the floor. Uh, he took three shots a game from at least 25 feet. And he made 36% of them. That's off the hook. Uh, he also shot 53% inside the arc. So he's not just a one-trick pony. Uh, he took a ton of shots. He had a high usage rate. He's over a 90% uh, free throw shooter. So I asked Coach Terry, uh, you're going to let him do what he does. And 
And his his answer was, I think you have to let him be the best version of himself. Uh, if he's coming down in transition and he's got the airspace, he's going to have the green light to let it fly. So he was a huge get. And then, of course, somebody that you're well familiar with, Dylan DeSue, did not uh, go in the NBA draft. I think that was a great move. The last year was at Vandy. Am I right on this? He led the SEC yeah. in rebounding. Uh, excellent shot blocker. And he, he teams with this kid, Shedrick, from from Virginia, who, you know, Virginia's a, a program that likes to develop. And you know, that's kind of why Shedrick went there. But he didn't think he was developing fast enough, so he got in the portal. And so I think the combination of Shedrick and DeSue is as good a four and five front as you're going to see in the college game. And then they needed a little help from the, from the portal. Uh, they, they got this kid Horton, uh, who <laughs> he has made the rounds. Uh, Dick Vitale has his all Marco Polo team. This cat <laughs> is like uh, in the hall of Marco Polo hall of fame. His, his, uh, whistle stops, Delaware Pitt, UCF. And now he ends his career at, at Texas. He shoots at about 35% from three. That'll do. They also got basically traded with Kansas. Uh, you know, they lost Arterio Morris to Kansas. So Chris Johnson, who was a four-star freshman at KU, decides, well, I'm going to go somewhere else now. So he goes to Texas. So Texas, my buddy Chris Ogden has now been appointed their general manager. So I guess maybe that was his first ever trade. Uh, so I think they were able to go in the portal late, get some help, and – I think they're going to be a, a top 25 and, and a, a worthy contender in the Big 12. Now, with Tennessee, if you looked at uh, – and Flow Hoops actually televised some of these games that – all the games that Tennessee played in Italy. And uh, admittedly, the, the competition isn't that great. But the, the people that I knew would make an impact, that, that they had to have – uh, to be a better team than last year. And their main weakness was they would get into these five to 10 minute dry spells where they literally could not throw it in the ocean from the pier. And now they've got a couple of transfers who went over there and lit it up from three in Italy. Uh, Jordan Ganey, who is the son of Justin Ganey, the associate head coach. Uh, he shot 39% from three in Italy and Dalton Connect uh, from uh, Northern Colorado. A lot of people have not heard of him, but he's an NBA prospect. He led uh, the Vols in scoring over there at 16 a game and shot 48% from three. And that guy can stroke it. And then you couple that with the people they had coming back. Uh, Josiah Jordan James decided uh, one more go around. Uh, Vescovi. One more go around. So you've got fifth year seniors as guards. This kid, Freddie DeLeon, who's going to play the point until Zakai Ziegler gets back. He's six foot five and he throws passes like a young Pete Maravich. I can't, I'm not saying he is, but, and then I'm really impressed with Toby Awaka, uh, their young big man. He's six eight, 250. He played in the under 19 FIBA championships and averaged a double-double there. And then he went to Italy and averaged a double-double. 
I've heard people call him, and incredible people too, like Jimmy Dykes from ESPN, call him the next Oscar Shibway. Hmm. And he's his rebound average for 40 minutes is ridiculous. It was 14.6 last year. And if he'd have had uh, enough minutes played, he'd have been third in the country last year behind Zach Eady and Shibway in uh, uh, defensive rebound percentage. So the guy's a magnet, and he's also learning how to score. I think they've got some good depth, too. This might be, and I say might, but this might be uh, Rick's best team in Tennessee. Hmm. Both those teams really talented, and I know part of your your top 25. And as I mentioned, there'll be conference rivals uh, starting next year. I think there, there's always some interesting connections uh, between those two, and they've even played head-to-head a few times uh, in the regular season over the last few years. So, yeah, those two uh, teams. Yeah, that start, last year. Those two teams that start with T will definitely uh, be ones to watch in this upcoming season. And uh, I wanted to mention a little about the uh, the team I work for, Vanderbilt. Uh, it feels like the, the Commodores aren't really on anybody's radar for this upcoming season, but maybe they should be. Uh, they have one of the best returning guard combos in the SEC, and Ezra Magnone and Tyron Lawrence, who uh, tested the the pro waters and went in the portal for a little bit, but ultimately decided to come back for his senior year at Vanderbilt. Uh, he and Coach Jerry Stackhouse seem to have a great relationship, but he and Ezra Magnone on the court have a great relationship too, and they, they became just a terrific combo those two to go with uh, some returning players like Colin Smith, who I think everybody thinks is going to take a, a jump from freshman to sophomore at one of those forward spots. And uh, they've added a, a talented freshman class and, and some transfers that are expected to make an impact, including a guy named Ben Allen Lubin, who played at Notre Dame last year. And they played for the uh, U.S. National Under-19 team this past summer. And I think that experience really serves him well. Uh, they did a media session last week, and, and he spoke, and I thought he was really impressive. And uh, I, I think he's a, you know, he's one of those guys who can get in and play physical inside, and I think he's uh, one that, that will serve this team well. Uh, they're still looking to get in the NCAA tournament for the first time with with this coaching staff with Jerry Stackhouse, and they've had some staff changes, including Donald Williams uh, added as the uh, director of player personnel. And, Chris, I know you remember him from that 93 North Carolina championship team. Hard to believe that's been 30 years, but, uh, I mean, he was a fantastic oh, wow. player on that team and and, and played uh, professionally for a long time too. But he, he's part of the Vanderbilt staff now. That's crazy. I didn't know that. And, yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, Vanderbilt um, has held its own in a league that's becoming increasingly uh, a bare-knuckle brawl Let's talk real quick about Louisville losing a player. You know, they're trying to rebuild for year two with Kenny Payne after just a really tough season last year. They lost a key guy with a five-star player, Trenton Flowers, uh, leaving to play in Australia. He had classified, reclassified, I should say, to the class of 2023, had been practicing with the Cardinals this summer, but decided to depart, said he thought that was his best path to try to get to where he wants to go as a pro. Yeah, it's funny how it took him that long to, to decide that. Um, maybe it was the way he was getting coached uh, in the spring and summer. I know they put a lot of time into him. Or maybe somebody got in his ear, and far more likely that's the case. I mean, who can forget, and I know we'll talk about Steve Forbes later for another reason, but his diatribe after Bobby Clintman, uh, a a rising sophomore and, and a promising player, from his team was spirited away by an agent who ostensibly was uh, an NIL agent, but he took this guy, uh, Bobby Clinton, and, 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 and told him to go to the 
uh, Australian League. And uh, Steve was not happy about that. And he recorded a video that went viral and just unloaded on the agent. Mm -hmm. And I think there's got to be a way to keep to keep to keep people who are looking for a commission out of these kids ears. You know, if it's in the best interest of the kid, fine. But let the kid figure that out. Don't whisper in his ear, you know, because you know you're getting a commission. I just resent that. I, I, I think it's unscrupulous and it's unfair. And I don't know how you police it, but yeah, uh, I bet Kenny Payne wishes there was a there was a, a, a certain police force to a guard against that because, uh, as we all know, Louisville was a absolute disaster last year and when you fall down in a league like the acc it's it's hard to get back up it really is just a tragic scene out in maui where lahaina the the city was devastated by a fire there are more than 100 deaths and unfortunately you you know there's going to be more and uh, really all, all our best to, to everyone out there and you encourage people to donate if they see a place they can help way down on the list of priorities but what happens to the Maui Invitational, you think? I mean, the Lahaina Civic Center was spared, it, just barely. I think they were using it at one point for an evacuation shelter, and then they had to evacuate it because they were afraid the, the flames were going to get too close. You look at this year's tournament, it's a loaded field. Chaminade and Gonzaga, Kansas, Marquette, Purdue, Syracuse, Tennessee, and UCLA are all scheduled to be out there the week of Thanksgiving. I, it's hard to un- hard to really see how they're going to play that tournament there maybe they do you know maybe they they find other places for the you know the teams to stay up north of there and 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 still are are able to bring them in or you know maybe it's just a good thing to try to play it and and give people something to feel good about but i i would doubt it like i'd bet that they probably find somewhere either out in hawaii or uh somewhere else in the you know the continental united states i know a couple years ago during covid they brought the whole thing to Asheville, but um, you figure the tournament will be played. It's just a matter of uh, the logistics for the whole thing and what they might do with it. I've been texting with some uh, coaches, assistant coaches from some of the teams who are friends of mine, and I think it'll it'll almost it, it's a certainty that it won't be played in in Maui. Uh, really, right now the the Hawaiians don't want tourists, uh, right. Uh, that was before the fire and tourists are going there and just junking up paradise. Uh, and I, I had read a story where some non-native grasses, three different species helped fuel that fire like gasoline. And, you know, who knows where that comes from. And the, the tragedy is fire makes those grasses come back stronger. So they've got a real problem with that. And, you know, it was a hurricane wind that, that blew that thing out of control, a, a down power line that started it. And it's just a tragedy. I mean, that's paradise. And I don't see it, the, the tournament being played there. So I've texted with some coaching buddies of mine and the consensus is, is that it'll probably be moved to Vegas, which as you know, has more arenas per capita than any city in the country. <laughs> right. Uh, I couldn't even name them all, but there's a bunch. And I doubt Chaminade would want to make the trip uh, to get obliterated three times because they're going to get obliterated three times. So yeah. they would probably add uh, another school uh, in the same uh, zip code of, of Tennessee, Syracuse, Purdue, Gonzaga, Kansas, UCLA, Marquette. 
that may be the roughest Maui field that I can recall. And I know you went to Hawaii twice in a calendar year with Vanderbilt, and it's awesome out there. And I hate it for the for, first of all, the the people who lost their lives and their homes. Um, I do hate it for the teams that were going to go out there and see a little bit of paradise. Uh, but the tournament will live on, most likely in Vegas. And my prediction is, you know, Chaminade's not – they can't pay them enough to, to go to the mainland and, and get crushed three times. They're, they wouldn't be the host. So they'll add another power conference team and – and it'll still be on ESPN. It'll still be the same dates, more than likely. Like I said, uh, Vegas has more arenas that that could host that thing than than probably any five cities. And, and it makes you sad too, because I love watching the Maui Invitational, that little bitty gym. I mean, that that's the that's a lot of the charm of it is, is playing too. in that little building and. Everybody I I've ever Phyllis's talked to, and yeah, Dykes right, little, exactly. You know, little comedy jokes. Yeah, they'll be out there and, and surfing and all that stuff. But you know, everybody yeah. I've ever talked with that's been out there has said the whole thing was awesome, and that that's been on my bucket list of of things I would like to go do and, and announce uh, there. And, and Madison Square Garden would be too on my list. So uh, yeah, you just wish those people all the best. And no matter what happens with the basketball tournament, it's just a, a tragic situation there. Also, want to pass along our best to Wake Forest coach Steve Forbes and his family. Uh, his wife, Johnetta, had a stroke while he was overseas on on a trip to Kuwait. And I know, Chris, you know Steve well. I've uh, been able to talk with him some and just maybe get an update on what's going on there. Yeah, um, she, she had a stroke, uh, as you said, in, in Florida. Luckily, uh, their three adult children were with her, and they kept their heads about them and, and, and got her uh, the emergency medical care she needed. Um, I think the family had hoped they could take her to Winston-Salem, where obviously there's excellent hospitals. But I believe the plan is for her to go to uh, Atlanta, which has one of the best stroke uh, rehab hospitals in the world. And uh, she'll do her rehab stint there. What's scary, as Steve told me, She's only 58 years old, and she works out daily hmm. as a swimmer. And, uh, you know, the lesson that I think we can pass on, and, and I've had an issue myself recently, not a stroke or anything, but uh, pay attention to your health. If, if something feels off, uh, if your smell is off, if your taste is off, if your vision is off, if something is not right, go to your doctor. And, and and go get regular checkups, get blood work done. I do it all the time. It's really not as scary as you think. You know, <laughs> they got people that, you, you know, they can take two vials of blood. Uh, admittedly, I don't look. Uh, before you can, you know, uh, whistle Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, well, that, maybe that's a long song. I don't I gonna know. say, man, that's but, kind of uh, a long one. They, they could knock it out pretty quick. Uh, so... Yeah, that, I think that's the lesson to be learned. And, and uh, you know, best wishes to the Forbes family. Steve's one of my better friends in coaching and, and an all-world dude, captain of the all-lobby team at the Final Four. Everybody knows him and loves him. And I'll bet you uh, I'll bet you tens of thousands of people have reached out to him. Uh, I was surprised. I texted him last night. uh 
just to see how she was doing. And I was surprised to get an answer because huh. uh, I knew he was obviously tied up, but, but he gave me some information and, and I, I, I hope that she'll, she'll come out of this and, and make a full recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, that's a scary thing, and I probably need to take Professor Dorch's uh, advice there too, and, and make my way over. To it's good, get man. A I mean, the more sometime. the more you give blood, the less scared of it you are. Yeah, <laughs> I've just learned to do it, man. Yeah, I usually end up on the floor, passed out, but uh, that <laughs> you, happened to me. You got to do it. <laughs> uh, that happened to me once. I will never forget it. Uh, two nurses that are about five foot one tried to lift my six four, two hundred pound body off the floor. And we all three almost fell back down. <laughs> uh, I hadn't eaten lunch though, in my in my defense, I got a little lightheaded. But uh, yeah, I, I just think if if you don't feel you're the best judge of your body, if, if some don't feel right, go get it checked out. Yeah. Don't gut check it. Uh, my wife's real bad about gut checking stuff. Don't do that. Dumb. <laughs> All right, I joked earlier that Chris has only left the office uh, you know, a couple times in the last month. He's been so busy putting together the Blue Ribbon Yearbook. But one of the times he left was to go see a movie, and I know you've read the book. Uh, give us the, the review of Oppenheimer, and I know you, you thought it was just one of the best ones you've seen in a long time. Yeah, I I went with my son, and, um, you know, <laughs> sometimes you get in a cool, dark theater, long movie, and, and you know, I don't know. Your your lids may may fight you a little bit, and and, and uh, my son kept elbowing me, and I'm like, dude, I am in no danger of falling asleep, <laughs> and and I didn't have to make any pit stops to the restroom. And he was talking to his mother after, and he said, you yeah, know, man, dad, dad never even thought about sleeping. You know, he he didn't have to go to the bathroom. I was just enthralled by the movie. Uh, you're right. I'm, I'm reading this book, American Prometheus, which uh, the main writer, uh, who is no longer with us now, he studied Robert Oppenheimer for 25 years. And then he picked up a writing partner and they finished the book and it won the Pulitzer Prize. It's not for the faint of heart. It's dense. And there's a lot of stuff about quantum physics in there, which let's put it this way. I ain't no Einstein. Uh so I've had to learn as I go, but uh, it turns out Robert Oppenheimer, you know, he didn't, you know, like Steve Jobs at Apple, he didn't exactly invent the things that his company was famous for, but he found a way to popularize them or bring them to the masses. And that's the way it was with Oppenheimer. He had a whole team of physicists and scientists and uh, metal experts and, and munici munitions experts helping him build this thing. Yet he's still called the father of the atomic bomb. He was a genius, make no mistake, a polymath who spoke six languages and read them as well, uh, who could do anything. And, and it was just a genius. But uh, there was a joke that he couldn't even run a hamburger stand. Why did uh, General Leslie Groves pick him to run Los Alamos, but it turned out he had natural leadership and he got that project done. By the time it was finished, the Germans had surrendered and that's who we were really building it for because uh, he Oppenheimer had sought advanced education in Germany. He knew how far along they were 
in splitting the atom. And we were afraid with, with Hitler over there that if we didn't get to the atom bomb first, that Hitler could use it and really, as crazy as, as it sounded for a little com- country that's about the size of Texas, taking over the world. Yeah. And it turns out we didn't need it. And historians are mixed on whether we even needed it at all uh, to drop it on Japan. But all that is covered in there. And Christopher Nolan is a brilliant filmmaker. He got that in in three hours, and it was the quickest three hours I've ever spent. Uh, I don't know where it is in my all-time top five because I haven't figured that out yet, but I think it barged its way in there. Uh, and it's certainly of recent vintage. I can't remember a film where, as my son joked, like my lids didn't try to slip down or, <laughs> or you know, uh, your, your your typical superhero movie, it ain't. Uh, you, you, I will warn you, you're going to have to know a little bit of something about Oppenheimer to kind of keep up with the characters. Right. Christopher Nolan is a non-linear storyteller, which I think is brilliant. It goes back and forth in time. He uses the element of mixing black and white photography with color uh, to indicate a certain uh, section of Oppenheimer's life when when he was being uh, ostracized and his security clearance taken away because he actually knew that we, we had unleashed something that we couldn't let the genie back in the bottle. And he was right. Uh to this day, uh, nuclear arms are a constant fear. So, yeah, I couldn't recommend it enough. But then again, I I I read the book, so so it it prepared me. It it might not be for everybody, uh, you know. Maybe the same audience that spent a billion dollars going to see Barbie might not appreciate Oppenheimer, but maybe they will. I don't know. But uh, definitely an awesome, awesome film. Well, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I haven't had a chance to, to see it just yet, but uh, I definitely would, would like to check that out. Uh, I, I promised you earlier I would tell you about my new time waster uh, before we finish up. So this this feels like a good one. place to <laughs> feels like a good place yeah. to, to wrap up our show. And, and as we all know, I'm not exactly any nuclear physicist either. Uh, I spent a lot of my <laughs> childhood and teenage years watching baseball and and collecting baseball cards. Of course, you know this is a basketball podcast and. Uh, I mean, I'm a diehard hoops fan for basically my whole life, but I love baseball too. And my new time waster is a thing called the Immaculate Grid. And I was out at – Vanderbilt's been practicing, getting ready for the football season, and so I go out to practice a lot of days during the week, and uh, some of the folks I watch practice with said, hey, Kev, you, you know, you're into baseball. Have you, have you played this Immaculate Grid game? And I said, yeah, I, I, well, I looked at it one day, but I couldn't exactly figure out what you were supposed to do. And so they explained to me a little bit how it worked and that there were multiple answers for each of the each of the places on the grid. There, there are nine spots every day, and you have to kind of cross-match either teams or accomplishments by players and that sort of thing. And so now it's my favorite thing, and I look forward every morning to <laughs> 8, 8 o'clock Central, 9 Eastern, when the new grid comes out every day. And then I, I spend way too much time trying to, to figure out obscure players to put in each of the squares and i was reading an article that said you can you can make it whatever you want to make it as far as how you play it like you can the 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 way that everybody generally plays is to try to find the most obscure person for each of the of the squares to get the lowest percentage and then get the lowest score 
But you can also play the Family Feud way and try to pick out who you think is the most popular answer and get the highest score. So anyway, uh, all this to say that I've, I've become a huge fan of the Immaculate Grid, uh, especially for baseball. I mean, it's, it's part of baseball reference. And uh, you can play it for the NBA and the NFL as well. I've not tried those. I, th- I think there may be a hockey one also, but the baseball one is by far and away my favorite. And I have thought of players and baseball cards and things that I have not thought of in years and years. Uh, if you're into baseball or, or those other sports I mentioned, check it out. The Immaculate Grid. It's a lot of fun. Chris, I think you would be good at this game. I'd have to go on the Wayback Machine. Probably uh, in my peak era, when I was a kid growing up, um, the 60s and 70s, I knew every player on every roster. And then I discovered college basketball. And that was pretty much the end of that, <laughs> uh, except for my Cardinals. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it sounds like fun. I'm, it, I'm glad. I, I know that's something you would enjoy. And, and uh, maybe we should start a challenge, a blue ribbon challenge with uh, the Immaculate Grip. All right. But, yeah, we'll, we'll work on that. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> somebody was joking the other day that with the transfer portal, uh, and college sports, you could have an immaculate grid for college uh, teams too, or college players. So, uh, you could. I mean, we've basically gotten to the point where you might as well allow trading now. Oh man! You know, like uh, we'll give you two guys for this guy and another player to be named later. <laughs> player to be named later. That's right. Yeah, exactly. In college basketball, we're practically there now. Yep, it feels that way. Chris, always great to do the podcast with you. We'll catch up here in a few days, but uh, thanks for the time. Always terrific, man. Thanks, buddy. He's Chris Dorch, Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.